launch in three, two, one. Go. This is a dangerous beat that we're dealing with now. Introducing the Dog Pound Daily Podcast with your hosts, Andrew Sight. I must be louder. And site expert Stephen Kabitza. If it's a blowout, Monday's podcast is going to be a bummer. But if they win, it's going to be a party. This DJ's so funky, man. Okay, let's go. We are back for the Friday edition of the Dog Pound Daily Podcast. I'm Andrew Sype. With me, as always, my partner in crime, Stephen Kabitza. Stephen, how are you feeling this week after uh, after the Browns went 0-3 against the Colts? Hey, a win this week, and we're in third place in the AFC North. That's true. That is very true. So looking ahead this week to the Bengals, some, so just some storylines that we're going to go over in this week's episode. We've got Miles Garrett, who practiced today, the wide receiver position still being a mess and not any ideas that, that we might have that, that could fix that problem. Duke Johnson and whether or not he could be the running back one versus Isaiah Crowell. Whether or not this front office is setting up the coaching staff for success this year, and we're going to go ahead and compare the 2016 Browns through Week Three versus the 2017 Browns through Week Three and how they stack up. So, with that being said, we'll get into Miles Garrett practicing today. He's on the field for the first time since September 6th. I believe it was four days before the opener. It sounds like he's got a shot to play, and I think we talked a little bit about this last week. But Stephen, do you go ahead and play Miles Garrett this week? Uh, since he practiced today yeah last week i was saying they should hold him out back when they were playing in indianapolis but this week if the medical staff rules that his ankle is 100 percent, then he should play i think he comes right back in the practice he's fine he's his position he's playing it's not like it's a quarterback just coming right back in the practice and having to relearn everything if he's 100 percent, yes if he's anywhere below that then i'd say no at least for another week so i think hugh jackson mentioned that even if he does play he would be on a snap count and I think that kind of begs the question of at that point do you even play him you know if he's not able to give like you said 100 percent does a snap count really benefit I mean obviously he's on the field versus not having him which is a benefit to the team but is that an opportunity for him to be fully utilized versus just letting him sit another week to be completely 100 percent next week against the Jets well, if Hugh Jackson wants someone to snap count, it'd probably be a situation where he comes in on crucial third downs, kind of like an Andrew Miller type defensive lineman. But how do you, you don't get a rhythm though, especially as a pass rusher? It's important to have fresh legs, but you've also got to be able to understand your your opponent and your offensive tackle and how how you're able to adjust to his moves and and where his where his weaknesses are. So I just don't think it's necessarily a good idea if that makes sense we've seen before with wide receivers that are on snap counts that they're mostly used as a decoy you know they're not necessarily involved in the offense but they're there just in the case that you you see an opening or a lapse on the defense and and you're able to exploit it but on the defensive side I don't think that's necessarily the case because you're constantly pushing a 300 pound man in front of you trying to get to the quarterback every single play so I agree. I'm just thinking if he was on a snap count, it'd be in that situation. I yeah. don't think that's the best idea, but the Browns are 0-3. They're returning home. They need to get something going because, I mean, if they lose this 0-4, then Josh McCown and the Jets come to town. We thought that was an easy win. They whooped the Dolphins, although the Dolphins are led by Jay Cutler, so we don't know how good they're going to be. You just need a spark, 
I mean, maybe a Garrett debut. Energizes the team a little bit. And the crowd. Maybe. It might just bring some optimism because I think I mentioned it previously. You know, that's kind of the one thing that's keeping me optimistic this year is that we've yet to see Miles Garrett play. So especially against a team like the Bengals that have a very, very rough offensive line. And with a quarterback like Andy Dalton, who is very bad under pressure, I think if you can get just a few impact plays from somebody, whether it's Miles Garrett, Emmanuel Ogba, like coming off the edge, I think you're going to have a real opportunity to, to make some da- do some damage in this game. But if, if they continue to let quarterbacks sit back in the pocket untouched, it's going to be another long game for the Cleveland Browns. We're getting in that trap of, well, if Garrett's back, we get that pressure, defense steps up, but it yeah. may not make the ultimate difference if he's back, and that's my biggest well, fear. I mean, the, a big key for this game is, and in games past, is for this team, you've got to be able to get to the quarterback. And Jamie Collins is still in concussion protocol. Garrett may or may not play, and if he does, like we said, it's limited. So where are the Browns going to get this pass rush? We didn't see it last week. Jacoby Brissett was able to run all day, really had all day to throw. They didn't. They sacked him three times, but none of them were really – you know, impactful enough to to change the outcome of the game. So where are the Browns really going to get that consistent pressure, I guess, is the age-old question. And that goes back to the 2016 draft, bringing in Agba yeah. and Nassib. They were supposed to be the core pieces. Mm-hmm. Danny Shelton is doing well, but he, he's not being the guy that he was brought in to be. He's still young, to be fair. But it's just like Garrett's the new saving grace. Yeah, I guess the run defense has been better. I think defensively, a scheme switch helps that out. So I think the defense needs to get back to that bend but don't break, which is what we saw in the preseason. You know, I think a lot of times last week, the Colts got down. They weren't able to get off the field on third down. The Colts kept driving and driving, and obviously with big plays from T.Y. Hilton and a big pass interference from Jabril Peppers, it sets you up in a position as a defense in the red zone that's not necessarily favorable so i think it's important this week for the browns to do on defense what typically happens to them on offense which is stifle them on first down and create those third and long plays that are going to get the 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 home crowd into the game on third down third and long to maybe force some turnovers in cincinnati or anywhere on the field for that matter that help maybe sway the game in the browns direction which i think is very very important i mean as we know crowd noise is the ultimate difference maker on third down that's what people have yelled at us third down (laughs) that's my favorite thing at the stadium and then and then the next call that's a cincinnati Bengals first down giovanni bernard with a 93 yard run god it's third and eight and they got nine perfect (laughs) oh we've talked a little bit about the defense but now we've we're going to switch over to the offensive side of the ball where we know the wide receiver position is a mess, but I was just going to ask you, you know, is there anything the Browns can do to fix this wide receiver problem right now versus having to wait until the offseason? No, in my opinion. They're, I think they're stuck with the guys they chose, and the only way anything is going to change is if players like Higgins keep having games like he did in Week 2. We need, like, Lewis to step up, Higgins yeah. to step up, Britt, who had a nice touchdown catch last week, keep the momentum going i'd say that a big one of the biggest improvements would just be no drops and that's that's baby steps it's professional football yeah i i guess this i think the statistic people whatever 
office governs the official statistics for the NFL. They only credited the Browns with five total drops, but we all know that that real number was eight. So that definitely, like you said, that definitely needs to improve this week, and especially with a young quarterback back there. We'll touch on it a little bit later with the front office not necessarily setting the coaching staff up for success right away, but especially with a young quarterback back there, you have to make plays. Hugh Jackson has said it multiple times in his, his press conferences. Corey Coleman, the guy who's not playing, seems to be the only one that can catch a dang football. So I, I'm, I'm counting down the days until he gets back, and I never thought I'd be saying that for the second year in a row. But alas, here we are. Just some stats that I saw from Daryl Ryder on Twitter. Kenny Britt, Ricardo Lewis, Richard Higgins, and Sammy Coates have combined for 19 catches on 41 targets for 243 yards and zero touchdowns. That is terrible. Absolutely terrible. Corey Coleman alone has six for 62 and one touchdown. So just looking at that group of receivers, which one do you think has the best chance to be a playmaker for this offense out of Britt, Lewis, Higgins, and Sammy Coates. Can I count Jordan Leslie in? You can count Jordan Leslie. You can count Kaysen Williams. I mean, just listening to that name and, and saying it out loud or all these names, it just begs the question is how did we not think it was this bad in the off season? I think the worst kept secret was how bad the receiving core was. Yeah, apparently. And it was just like, oh, well, we got Kenny Britt. We'll be fine. So well, who else is going to play receiver? Yeah, I, I think they were so dead set on Corey Coleman being healthy when he really never has been. Uh, they they kind of banked. They put all their eggs into that basket, and it didn't. It has not worked out so far. So I, I think a, I wouldn't say a quick fix, but definitely a, a possible solution to this problem is I think the Browns really need to get into more of the double tight end, putting Danny Vitale back there, you know, and just switching to a power run scheme and just pounding the football. You know, I don't even care on the first 20 plays. I hope they run 15 of them because at some point you need to, to find out, just put the defense on their heels. Even if they know it's a run, you know, Isaiah Crowell can hit that hole pretty hard. So let them, let them get moving a little bit versus trying to run them out of the shotgun while we're already down 14, nothing. And Seth DeValve's arguably the most reliable target. Joku yeah. has two touchdown catches. Mm-hmm. They, I would say Duke, just receiving wise, Duke Johnson, Isaiah Crowell, Seth DeValve, and David Njoku have caught 30 of 48 targets for 394 yards and two touchdowns. So just putting those four non-wide receivers against the wide receivers, I think you, you can just see on the stat sheet alone that giving giving those guys the ball more than throwing to the wide receivers is going to be something that maybe makes this offense a little bit more efficient than what they're doing right now. And when you have bad wide receivers, you have to utilize those guys. And there has to come a point in time, hopefully it's before this Sunday's game, where Hugh Jackson realizes, hey, look, the front office kind of screwed me over with this group of receivers. I am just going to, like you said, pound the football, focus on the tight ends, help out Deshaun Kaiser. Don't call these you know, four or five wide sets and then have him throw it deep to Casey Williams and have Williams run out of bounds or Sammy Coates, who is dealing with an injury and just showed up. It's like, if these guys are dropping the ball, if they don't know the routes, don't call plays for them. If, they, if they're if they in practice and it's clearly like, we have Duke Johnson, the best player on the offense, we should call. They need to be like teams that call plays to the same, like the Patriots. Like, all right, we're going to throw to Edelman 15 times or 20 yeah. times. 
it's just getting your playmakers involved. And while I think Hugh Jackson wants to do that, I, I just think he gets caught up in the game too much and doesn't remember the fact that you only need 10 yards at a time to get a first down. You know, just because you get 20 yards on first down, you just get another first down. You know, you don't get bonus points. You you just get more yards, which is fine. But, I mean, at some point, you got to stop trying to get it back in four or five plays and maybe establish establish a running game, as weird as that sounds, and, and control the clock and, and maybe a 14-play, 75-yard, nine-minute drive where they're converting on third downs, or maybe they're not even really getting to third downs because when they can run three, four yards on first down and get into that second and short, third and manageable, manageable that's where they need to be because so often first possessions of the game were running the ball on first down you get nothing and then two two passes and you're three and out without two minutes even running off the game clock so I think it's really important for the Browns to to maybe utilize two tight ends maybe even three with Randall Telfer because he's the more the run blocking tight end and just feed Isaiah Crowell this week especially at home well to your point you texted me um, after the first series of Sunday's game, you're like, oh, I just missed the first series. What happened? I'm like, oh, well, they got a nice first down run, and then uh, t- 10 seconds later, they punted the ball after a three and out. But yeah. Hugh Jackson's play calling, and correct me if I'm wrong, it reminds me of, I believe it was Byron Scott when he was coaching the Cavaliers. It reminds me of when him and other basketball coaches, they have like a bad group of their backups in. And they're so focused on those guys making the comeback that it's like, hey, well, we have these other guys on the bench, and they're like, no, 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 we're not going to sub. Trust me, they'll make it. And it's like Hugh Jackson. It's like 10 targets to Kenny Britt or like 10 targets to Ricardo Lewis. Like, could we just give Duke Johnson the ball? Can we call plays for Duke Johnson, please? I would rather take away every rep for Kenny Britt and Sammy Coates and put them all in the hands, or maybe even Isaiah Crawl, which we'll get into a little bit later. Just give Duke Johnson the dang football. I mean, last week, they couldn't give it to him enough because he He was the only person to make plays. (laughs) Exactly, and he didn't. One touchdown. Hugh Jackson acted like he tried to give Duke Johnson the ball 30 times, like just get him involved. You know, How many times have we seen Le'Veon Bell carry the ball 30-plus times or 27-plus times? And then not to mention... The fact that he's catching seven or eight balls for 40, 50, 60, 70, maybe even 80 yards, you know, I have no, I don't think Duke Johnson is Le'Veon Bell, but I think at some point you need to understand that this guy is a playmaker. And if he, if Crowell's not getting it done, rushing the football, put Duke Johnson back there and let him see if he can, it can be a, a running back one instead of a guy that you bring in in obvious passing situations. Or even give Matthew Days the ball. Let's see what he can do. Same type of skill set. I mean, yeah, there's there's an open call for playmakers on this roster right now. So I don't think Hugh Jackson's in any position to give more reps to a wide receiver when it's an obvious weak point of this roster. But speaking of Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell, it's a, actually a pretty good segue here. Do you think Duke Johnson would be able to handle the starting running back responsibilities of this Cleveland Browns offense? Well, all that entails is like eight rushes a game. But That's, in, I put that I put that in here. I, mean, I was like, you can handle it if we could stomach a few hits. Yeah. Well, on the cons section, like I have a couple pros and cons listed, but like one of my first con is like his frame. I, I, can he handle a quote ten carry per game workload, which Isaiah Crowell is currently getting? I thought that was pretty funny. But I, I, even though you're that small, I mean, 
we've seen other running backs be able to do it and he if he's taking the ball out of the shotgun and making plays that isaiah crowell can't make what's why not give him a shot i think it's just it's being overthought by hugh jackson it's well we're gonna put duke more in wide receiver responsibilities and then the next week we should have him run more and then he gets two runs okay well how about we just say he can be an offensive playmaker and you can put them both because he's not going to get 20 carries with hugh jackson calling the plays we know that he hugh jackson is a great coach to be to play for as a running back if you want to have a long career but it's not good when you're in a contract year yeah, and look at a guy like Tyreek Hill in Kansas City, former running back. I mean, just absolutely explosive when he gets the ball. He's a threat to take it to the house on every single every single touch. And he's now he was not he was kind of a wide receiver last year, but he was more of like a hybrid, similar to Duke Johnson. I mean, they put him in the backfield a few times, ran him on some end of rounds, and I think the Browns are really missing that. I wouldn't say Swiss Army Army knife, but that guy like Terrell Pryor was last year that can take a ball on an end around or play quarterback and do some wildcat. And maybe, maybe that's even a call for a guy like Jabril Peppers who played some offense in college to, to switch on the other side of the ball, but he's already playing every snap on defense and special teams. So I don't know how likely that is. Yeah. He's a 21 year old rookie. who's playing every snap. Uh, ideally he would play, but it's, it would be overload. Well, what if he lined up as far back in the backfield as he does as a safety? I don't think he'd ever get the ball. <laughs> no, he'd get 20 touches. Like, I'm confused. <laughs> he probably would get more touches than Isaiah Crow or Duke Johnson, for sure. For sure. But I think there are some pros to Duke Johnson being the number one running back. Like I said, you know, when they bring him in now, it's almost a, a dead giveaway as to what they're going to do. It's either going to be a draw play out of the shotgun or, you know, some sort of pass pass play. So if you're going to make if you're going to pass the ball 47 times at least keep Duke Johnson in more than you're going to keep Isaiah Crowell in because he is the better pass catcher of the two I I love presenting what we deem to be logical takes on the situation and that's what makes it so frustrating on Sundays mm-hmm. because we're not the only ones with these opinions it's we're spending all this time talking about it I mean it's not that much time but you know what I mean and we're talking about it and then it's just watching clearly. It's and the response from the coaching staff is always, "Well, it's more complex than that." You're like, telling me that the Browns think that they're smarter than everybody else? Well, they are you are. kidding? I, I don't think that's ever been the case with any regime that's ever been in the front office or the coaching staff here. Like, I'll take Greg Williams for example, who last week someone called him out or asked a question as to why Jabril Peppers plays so far back. Well, okay, we use him as the angel of our defense. And sure enough, he got burned for quite a few plays last week. So how well is that really working out for you? How good does that look when you come out and say that that's the reason why we don't give up big plays and you go out and give up big plays on Sunday? So frustrating. Yeah, it's – I mean, I saw a good thing. It was, man, watching Dak Prescott, I can't believe we believed Hugh Jackson when he said, trust me, when they drafted Cody Kessler. Yeah. He doesn't even dress now. No. I, I don't think Hugh Jackson made that pick. I think no. Sashi Brown made that pick, and then Hugh Jackson was like, all right, uh, trust me, it's a good... Well, it just, it just goes back to my conspiracy theory that I think last year, in, or the, the draft in 2016, the front office was like really not taking any insight from the coaching staff in those picks, and I think a lot of it had to do with Hugh Jackson being 
I think he was sick. Remember, he wasn't able to go to the senior day or the uh, uh, senior bowl or something. He was sick, and he really got hired in February, so he didn't really have much time with this front office. And then this year, I think he put his stamp on a couple of those picks being Jabril Peppers, David Njoku, Miles Garrett, all kind of freak of athletes. So hopefully that bodes well moving forward. But, you know, I just don't think Sashi Brown has done a good enough job of setting up this coaching staff for success to win now. And that's frustrating as a fan. And I assume as a coach as well, it's frustrating because those guys come in and they say, Oh, well we need three, four five years, but the team's been bad for so long. It's well, everyone just can't keep saying that because it's just the same cycle and then every time there's a new regime fans are like oh this is going to be the one which i i agree with the optimistic like that view because if you're not like that then watching the games are so miserable it's like you're going to get an ulcer which they already are that miserable yeah and i think it's i think Deshaun kaiser is someone to build around i i know he's thrown a lot of interceptions and people target that as a reason why they're losing games but I think he's showing steady improvement. I, I've seen some throws on Twitter that he's he's making good decisions at the line of scrimmage and calling off plays, audibling out like hot route. There was a hot route to Seth DeValve on third down. He stood right in the pocket, pressure boiling down, and delivered a perfect throw to Seth DeValve on third down. I mean, stuff like that gives me hope that if you put maybe a halfway decent wide receiver on either side of him, that this offense might actually make some noise in the first half of a football game yeah and he's played three games and it's it's the same thing every year and it will never change it's they lose three games oh he's horrible oh well we'll just get sam darnold or josh rosen i go if either of those guys come in and they go zero and three which is likely because it's the browns it's gonna be the same thing oh well this guy stinks let's get the next guy it's why not give Kaiser some time? And it was like Derek Carr went 3-13 and his first year. I think they lost their first 10 games. They did. You have to be able to build around a quarterback. If Deshaun, Even if Deshaun Kaiser does not end up being a Hall of Famer or a Pro Bowler, or just if he ends up being a guy like Ryan Tannehill, even Ryan Tannehill is a perfect example, or Andy Dalton, because you're, being, you're allowed to build around a quarterback and not have a question mark at that position for extended periods of time. The Browns have never had a guy start 16 games since Brandon Whedon. And even then, he was gone the next year. So they've never had a quarterback to build around or build an offense around a skill set, having wide receivers build chemistry with that quarterback. You know, it's a constant cycle that needs to just be solidified for three to four years. Let Kaiser play out his rookie deal. And then at that point, you go, is he the guy? Is he not the guy? And then you go from there. But it, in that meantime, you've you've been able to put pieces on defense, pieces on offense that that are building block pieces. And you look at a team like Dallas. Everyone wants to build like Dallas, where you build everything around him. Well, it was all built around Tony Romo before that. And when they realized he was too old to get him over the hump, they put in Dak Prescott, and he led him to a fourteen and two season with Ezekiel Elliott behind him. So it's just frustrating to see. Some people want to give up on Kaiser so early or blame Kaiser as the reason why they're losing games when he's truly got nothing around him to work with. Like I said, it's always going to be the same. It's He could come in. If he was 3-0 and right now, it would be like, oh, well, we should sign him to an extension now. Pure pandemonium it would be. Because, <laughs> when I mean, it doesn't matter. If Kevin Hogan went 3-0, and it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. As long as they win, that's fine. Yeah. And that's the only thing that will ever change the outlook. Yeah. So looking at 
the 2016 Cleveland Browns through week three versus the 2017 Browns through week three. How do you think that they stack up? I'd say this year's better. Not by much, but there's more talent. Last year, week one last year, it was like we tricked ourselves. Like, oh, well, maybe RG3 can play like he used to. And that first game was just so painful. I think it was 29-10. It was just awful. And then week two, it was like, oh, McCown's in. All right. And then he gets hurt. And then by the time week three, I know they almost won week three, but you got a rookie quarterback who came in as a third stringer. The outlook was very dark. I think they are more talented this year. Not, like I said, not by much, but I think my mindset now in week three is I'm a little more optimistic moving forward than I was last year. Where I was like, man, they lost that Miami game. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know when they're going to get it. That was like last year. We're like, oh, every year. Well, maybe we could just beat the Jets. <laughs> nope. I actually disagree uh, because just looking at this team this year, they make so many dumb mistakes mentally that just set them up for failure already. I mean, they have not held a lead in this in in this season. Uh, just looking at the statistics, averaging out stats through week three, passing kind of around the same. They averaged two hundred twenty three yards two thousand sixteen, two hundred thirty six yards this year. I think the biggest discrepancy, as we've touched on before is definitely the run, the running game. 144 yards per game through three games last year versus 87 this year. They averaged 25 attempts last year, 22 this year, and they averaged close to two yards per carry more last year. With an improved offensive line this year, Stephen, I'm really at a loss for how this is the case. What do you think? It's a mixture, I'd say. I mean, last year there was a lot of youth and inexperience, but this year I think it's that and... Like we talked about earlier, I think the lack of receivers is a huge deal. I don't think so, though, because if if you don't have receivers, that means stop throwing the ball. So it's really puzzling to me why last year when Hugh Jackson didn't have a quarterback that could make the throws downfield or could make the plays that he wanted in the offense, that the offense last year when they weren't able to do what Hugh Jackson wanted to do is statistically better than what what they're doing with a quarterback that Hugh Jackson thinks he can win with. So... Is this a testament to Hugh Jackson and his play calling slash offensive ability? Or if the if the team last year was one in fifteen, but offensively they're better, I mean, what does this really say about Hugh Jackson? I don't know if it says as much about Hugh Jackson as it does about the front office. And I think a quote he had earlier this week where it was like, "Do you think he's?" They asked him like, "Do you think there's?" Any receivers who are like, do you think, or do you think this receiving core is in a position to help the team win? And he said, you'll have to ask Sashi about that. Were they in a position last year to do it? I think having Pryor as your number one. Okay, Corey Coleman was still hurt, so I mean, Terrell Pryor versus Terrell Kenny Britt. Way better than, and he's not even oh, that good. I, I'm not. He's way better than anyone out there now. No, I, I totally agree. I, I think Terrell Pryor is easily the best receiver that this team has had, and since braylon edwards well, probably. since josh gordon well yeah his but, name is struck from the record <laughs> um it's just frustrating to see a team that we looked at last year and said oh their offensive line is terrible so that's why you know they were so bad and yet they rushed for more yards had better yards per carry 
less turnovers and a better time of possession than they do this year with a quarterback who they think they can win with. Yeah, but time and of possession just, in those rush yards comes from a lot of garbage time. Yeah, there's a lot of turn. I mean, you this year they're averaging eight minute garbage time drive to yeah. every game. Well, they're averaging a turnover and a half more per game this year. I mean, the same amount of penalties, eight penalties a game, which I think is absurd. I think the first week was the only week that they had a small amount of penalties, and the last two weeks I think were ten and eleven. So that is just a number that certainly has to come down because they have to play a perfect game to beat anybody at this point. And back to your point about the front office maybe being at fault here instead of Hugh Jackson, Sashi Brown isn't the one calling plays or dictating the game flow. You know, so I, I don't know. I understand that <clears throat> they they didn't really get better at the wide receiver position, but the running backs and tight ends are all virtually the same, except they added a new one this year. So I'm just confused as to how the running game has just dropped off this far when the offensive line has done nothing but get better since last year. I don't know. I think the sample size, we still have to get a little more. I think the turnovers are indicative of a rookie quarterback, which you're going to get. Like, And last year, I mean, Cody Kessler was a rookie quarterback, but he really was. they were, didn't really let him rip the ball downfield at all. It was. It's not that they didn't let him. I don't think he can. No, that's what and I that mean. That was the problem. Like yeah. he, he physically couldn't, so they didn't even try. If they did, there probably would have been a lot of turnovers. Well, that's why there were a lot of sacks. Yeah, that's the problem. He's held on the ball. I mean, we're seeing the same things from Kaiser in terms of holding onto the ball too long that we saw from Kessler and RG three and all those guys last year. So hopefully, it's something that he can fix this week and maybe lead the Browns to a victory at home. And I think some of the keys to that are definitely like we said getting off to a fast start you know they can't get behind seven nothing 14 nothing or come out flat with these three and outs on their first drive because if i'm a team against the browns and i have if and i win the coin toss i'm deferring every single time like good let their offense go out there and go three and out and then we'll get the ball back and then again at halftime you know so they really need to to establish some solid running game on this first drive and get off to a fast start in order to win just getting a lead playing from in front once i think it's a big key because they're always playing from behind and from hugh jackson down i think everyone's just playing with too much pressure if they can just go up by any amount of points mm-hmm. then maybe the defense Anything. gets a little more inspired maybe hopefully greg williams gets a little more inspired with play calling if they're winning kaiser's playing with a little more confidence like hey i gotta hold this lead as opposed to i gotta take all these chances because we're down by 14 points and every play is a big pass play exactly so with that being said i mean my prediction for the game is i i believe in our predictions early on i had picked the this game in particular as a game that the browns were going to win but i am not going to choose them to win this week how about you? I had a personal crisis when I was making my uh, pick 'em picks. Uh, I stared at the screen for a bit. I'm taking the Bengals on the pick 'em just because I took the Browns last week, and I want to be the guy that predicts when they'll win. But I, I, there's no, there's no benefit of me taking them <laughs> in the pick 'em pool if I really don't think they're going to win. That's true. But if they win, I'm not going to be upset. Yeah, exactly. Well, you, you cover your head, your bet. You know, you bet against them. You know, you're pissed off if they lose, but at least you got it right versus I'd rather take take it me being wrong in the podcast. Because their loss the... is a double loss than if you pick them. Yeah, exactly. I just think that the Bengals are going to win because I think the Browns really need to have a good pass rush and the ability to run the ball 
and I don't think they're going to do either of them on Sunday. So I hope they prove me wrong, but I'm saying 24-14 Bengals. Ooh, I like this. I'm going to say 27-17. I think it's going to be a pretty boring game, too, to be honest with you. Well, the Bengals like are boring. Marvin Lewis is boring. Well, just like last week, I mean, three and out here, then three and out, another three and out. You know, I think there's going to be a little bit of that versus sometimes you get a game where, I mean, there's only eight or nine drives in the whole game and because they're all productive offensively. But in terms of a lock this week, I'm going Falcons over the Bills. I chose the Falcons before and the Bears almost beat them, but Falcons are at home against the Bills on defense. I think they're a little, a little weak. So I'm going to take Matty Ice and Devontae Freeman. What about you? For my lock? Yes. I'm going to have to go. Oh, it's tough. My picks this week, there's so many locks. Like, there's definitive locks, and the other ones, I'm just like, huge upset. I don't want to. I think I've done Atlanta before. I have to. I'll go. I was going to go with tonight, uh, Thursday night game, but I want to do that. I'm going to say the Seahawks over the Colts. They're at home. I'll say they'll rebound. And as much as Browns fans may think, oh, this Colts team could be for real, they're not. Seahawks are going to whoop them and get back on track. Yep. I, that was a close pick of mine, but I just feel like the Falcons over the Bills is pretty solid, especially with the Falcons being at home. My upset is actually I'm going out on a limb here. Uh, I'm I'm trusting Sean McVay and Jared Goff and picking the, the L.A. Rams over the Dallas Cowboys at home. What about you? That's a pretty logical pick, honestly. I didn't take really? them. I pick them, but they're, they've been playing well. My lock – or my sorry, my upset – is the 0-3 New York Giants over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I didn't think you'd – I mean, the Rams haven't been better than the Cow, the Cowboys, though. You know, I, The Cowboys still look pretty damn good. No, but they're playing well enough where you could realistically win. Yeah, I guess. I, I just think the Cowboys at home after inspired play by Dak Prescott, you know, they might keep that rhythm going. And But I look at a team like the Rams coming in on the road with a pretty solid run defense with Aaron Donald in the middle. They can bottle up Ezekiel Elliott. You know, anything can happen. Did you hear so. my upset? Yes, I did, Steven. I think that is the one that we should be focusing on a lot of our time. I'm sorry. I just think I'm right, and I want to talk about it. Be like, yeah, I That's think the Rams I... are going to win. Well, I don't care. <laughs> Eli Manning is marching into Tampa Bay. But no, I could see that Rams game being a leg- – and it'll be an upset, but – Rams fan, it wouldn't be like the Browns beating the Cowboys in Dallas. Remember the Cowboys game last year? That was. I do. Awful. My one friend asked me if I wanted to go, and I was like, "That sounds Turned interesting, <laughs> but I'm yeah. gonna have to pass." Yeah, but other than that, I, I, there's really not too many storylines that I've been monitoring in the NFL. I think there's a couple that we've been monitoring in college basketball. I think as has the rest of the world. So. With that being said, let's cross our fingers that the Browns get off to a fast start on Sunday and and get their first win of the year. Steven, do you have any closing thoughts? They just need the win. Nothing we talk about here matters. Just win, win, baby. Just win. All right. We'll see you on Sunday after the game, and uh, go Browns.